God, our Father, and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's, let's get a little more energy. This is Easter morning, okay? All right? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we learn in grade school, we go back to our grade school days, we learn that there's no such thing as a stupid question. All right. In fact, in education, the method of asking questions is very important. Teacher to student and student to teacher. And we see this throughout history throughout the history of philosophy, throughout the history of education, throughout the history of God and his people. In fact, you look throughout the scriptures and we see God and his messengers asking important questions. And I think think that that reality actually resonates with our lives as well. Because people, important people come into our lives and they ask us important questions. Parents, teachers, mentors, friends, preachers, leaders, spouses, family members... They come into our lives and they ask us important questions. Sometimes it's not people that ask those or invite those questions. Sometimes it's events and circumstances in life that sort of, that sort of stop us in our tracks and then the questions come. And sometimes those questions are so powerful and so profound that it is almost overwhelming. And it happens in so many situations in our life. I kind of was thinking about that this past Monday of Holy Week. Many of the French people, right, Many of the French people have been confronted by questions. The cathedral caught fire, and then the spire, it fell, and the questions came. Questions like, why? Why? 800 plus years of world history and culture destroyed during Holy Week. Why? And then some people are asking, well, why do you care so much about a building? And then the question comes back, well, how can you be so callous? And the questions are flowing because of the tragic event with the cathedral in Notre Dame. What does it mean? They're asking questions about this 21st century France. What does the cathedral mean to us? Is our faith strengthened by the fire? Is our faith weakened by the fire? What do buildings of the church mean to us and to God and to the mission of the church? And what don't they mean? Events and circumstances bring questions. Beyond fires, how about the Sri Lanka Murders of Christians, the persecution, 200 plus people dead, 400 plus people injured, fires, persecution, bombings, accidents, natural disasters, disease, injustice, conflict, death. All these can at times serve as messengers and the questions, they come. And some of the questions are good and some of the questions are bad. Some of them are shallow and some of them are deep and profound. Not just blind, superficial answers, but questions that pierce deep into our being and cause us to pause, cause us to wonder, cause us to think and to re-examine ourselves and our culture and our community and our faith and our identity. And as I was thinking about France this past week and thinking of the cathedral and all the news and all the questions, I was reminded of the 18th century French Enlightenment writer, historian, and philosopher, his pen name Voltaire. It is said that he wrote these words, I've uh, updated them to be more gender inclusive, but he said, judge a person by their questions rather than their answers. Judge a person by their questions rather than their answers. You see, throughout history and education and philosophy and life, questions are important, maybe more important than the answers. 
And I think if you did an inventory of your life, you maybe agree. I mean, you could go back even to your early days when you were a toddler. And if you have a toddler, you know how the questions go, right? Why? 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 Why, Mom? Why, Dad? Why? Why? Decade, decade, after decade, after decade, though, even us big kids, we sometimes ask that question, why? In the catechism, we parents, we ask our kids, what does this mean? But decade after decade, even after we grow up, life comes our way, and sometimes we set the pause button. We say, what does this mean? For the past couple of years, I've been meeting with a group of pastors. Once a month, we get together, and we intentionally ask each other important questions. And one of the questions that we ask each other after we read the Word of God, after we pray, we ask this question. We say, what is God's invitation for you from His Word? Questions that cause us to stop, pause reorient, maybe redefine our lives. You see, God and his people have been asking questions since the beginning. In the garden, where are you? Questions that seep deep into our lives and to our hearts. And I was reading through the Gospels this past year. I was amazed at how many times questions pop up. And then on Friday night, Friday night was Good Friday. It was such an awesome and powerful service where we, we considered the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and a profound, deep, piercing question Jesus asked. Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? And from that moment, we saw Jesus betrayed and beaten, denied, mocked, whipped, crucified, and buried. Why? Could you imagine being there that first very holy week to experience that first Good Friday? Why? What does this mean? The followers of Jesus saw him crucified, and then all day Saturday, they're sitting there in their grief and their pain, and I'm pretty sure the questions were flowing. Why? What does this mean? The questions came because of an event a circumstance, a tragedy, an injustice, a murder. The death of their teacher, their master, their mentor, their friend, their Lord, their Jesus. And then on Sunday, the very first Easter, it wasn't like this, right? That very first Easter on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, I mean, did the women even sleep? Did the disciples even sleep that night, plagued with grief and pain and turmoil? The women, they took the spices they had prepared. They went to the tomb. I mean, the grief and the pain, the questions that must have just paralyzed them within. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, now, what do you think they said to them? These two guys in bright clothes, did they reprimand the women? Did they say, don't be afraid? Did they say, don't, uh, say, get up? Did they say, don't bow your faces to the ground? Did they give them a lecture? Did they give them a speech? Did they pontificate on and on about religiosity and all sorts of things? Did they give them a to-do list of things that they need to accomplish? No, they asked a simple question. And it started out unlike our toddler's questions, why? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Remember what Voltaire said? He said, judge a person by their questions rather than their answers. 
I mean, the women, they had every right to judge these two guys to be crazy. What kind of question is that? Why do we look for the living among the dead? I mean, could you imagine if you were there that very first Easter? I mean, we could imagine the women answering, well, because he's not living. He's dead. On Friday, we saw him crucified with our own eyes. We saw Joseph of Arimathea take his body down from the cross. He wrapped his body. He carried him to the tomb right here at this tomb where we are. We saw Jesus laid here. We came to bury him, to prepare his body for burial because we loved him. And these women had every right, humanly speaking, to judge those two messengers as irreverent idiots. What kind of stupid question is that? A stupid question. Is there such thing as a stupid question? These two guys, they ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then they expanded on it. They put some powerful truths, and they said, he is not here. It's not like someone took his body away. He is not here. He has risen. Remember? Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Remember when he said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? And then, then they remembered his words. In an instant. In an instant, their, their hearts and their minds are open to at least the possibility, the crazy possibility, the, the go-against-logic and everything that I think to be true possibility that this question, that these two guys in gleaming white clothes are actually, this question might actually be a good question. And so they go back to the others. Verse 9, it says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, they did not believe the women. Because their words just seemed like nonsense. I mean, the fact that the women were the first ones to tell this is absolutely revolutionary. It's a whole other sermon. But they couldn't wrap their minds around, the apostles couldn't wrap their minds around the possibility. Except for Peter. And I love this next verse. Peter says, however, Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. He ran to the possibility. He ran to see with hope and yearning that just maybe, just maybe what the women were saying, just maybe it might be true. He ran to the tomb and, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen, the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and then he went away. He went away wondering what just happened. And in those short 12 verses, man, you see emotions, you see self-reflection, you see angst, you see wonder. It goes from grief to sorrow to wonder to fright to terror to remembering to doubt. And then to maybe, maybe it's possible there's a glint of hope and there's wonder there. And my friends, that's what good questions do. Good questions from the right messengers in the midst of life's events and circumstances. These questions probe deep into our being and they wake us up. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I love the artist uh, Hei Chi's depiction of the women looking into the tomb. It's such a great question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
I mean, when I read this Easter text like three months ago, this question, it just jumped off the page. It spoke to me personally. I felt like God in his message was saying, Michael, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you try to find life where it cannot be found? I mean, this question of the angels, it interrupts the women's reality, but maybe better yet, it intrudes into reality. And it flips reality on its head and creates something entirely new, something entirely different. The angels ask completely naturally, why are you looking for the living among the dead? As if it's the most natural question in the world. Why? Because in the light of the new reality God had just created, it is Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. He is no longer subject to death or anything else of the old reality, the old order. And Jesus did not evade death. He did not avoid death. He did not escape death. He endured death and he triumphed over it. He took on every aspect of human reality, including death, embraced it fully. Completely out of love, he took the brokenness of the world upon himself on the cross. And then he did something new. He rose. He rose victorious from the grave. He created something new. He made something entirely new possible, and that very thing is life. Life as we do not know it. Life that endures and flourishes beyond death, beyond disease, beyond disappointment, beyond cancer, beyond injustice, beyond hopelessness, beyond fire and bombing and pain and tears and violence and hunger and fractured and broken relationships and everything that's broken within. And so it's no wonder that the women, they're, they're perplexed, they're terrified, they're falling to the ground because everything they knew from a human perspective was being challenged. And changed. Reality altered, flipped, and new. And my friends, that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. It's the creation of a new reality. Because if Jesus can be raised from the dead, then nothing is impossible with God. And it's why I think that I need to hear it. And I think you need to hear it. And we need to hear from God's messengers to us today. Just like the women heard 2,000 years ago. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you trying to find life where it cannot be found? Why are you trying to find life where there is only death? We need a messenger like that. I need that. I need an angel, I need a friend, I need a spouse, a child, a parent, a brother, a sister, a mentor, a counselor, someone to ask me, to ask you, to ask us a question that pierces deep into who we are so we can find life again. Why are you trying to find life? The question might sound like this, it might sound different for each and every one of you. Why are you trying to find life in that dead end relationship? Why are you wrapping your identity up in your productivity? Are you sure that that job or that career honors the gifts and the commitments God has given to you? And sometimes the questions, they can challenge us. Do you think that you really find life by being so self-centered for living only for yourself? And sometimes the question sounds like this, have you forgotten that all things are possible with God? Sometimes the question is of compassion. Have you really given up? Have you really given up? Don't give up. I haven't given up on you. And I want you to hear tonight, today, friends, that 
God's messengers are all around us in his word and in this community, and they're asking us audacious and vital and soul-piercing, life-giving, liberating questions. You see, when the angels asked the question to the two women or to the women that very first Easter, they were actually giving them life, giving them freedom to find and to experience and to receive life, even in the midst of death and destruction. I love this image of the cross at the cathedral in France, in the midst of the destruction, the death of Notre Dame, the simple, bright, glowing, empty cross, reminding us of the one reality that really matters, reminding us of the only person that matters, reminding us of the only question that matters. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus asks every one of us this morning, do you believe this? 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 Christ is risen. He is risen from the... Alleluia. Amen. But the story is not over there, my friends. Because I have a feeling that some of you in the room are wondering about this. And if you're wondering, we want to wonder with you. And if you're doubting, we want to listen to you. And if you want to receive this life, this resurrection life now, I want you to know that you already have, and it's already yours. And I want to talk to you right after the service. I want to pray with you right after the service. And I want all of us to hear that question again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen.